The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. I really like what I'm doing and I love my students. And so I'm just not sure if maybe I should just keep doing what I'm doing. So what do you do when the job you've had for years and maybe even the organization you work for changes in ways that no longer feel compatible with the work that you're doing, with your ability to show up and do your best work as your best self and truly come alive? Well, today's listener, Gretchen, shares how major changes to her job as a college professor after decades in the classroom and also an awakening to the call to let a different, more sparked part of her take the lead are inspiring new questions and insights. In a bid to add some variety to her role, she began mentoring her college football team and much to her surprise, found that she really loved it, potentially even more than the teaching she'd been doing for more than 20 years. And she considers her next step. She wonders whether you can adapt an existing role to meet your evolving interests and if so, how and Is there a way to put your unique spin on a long-standing, traditional profession to reimagine doing it in a way that maybe sparks you again? And on deck with me this week from the Spark Brain Trust to help tease out what really matters and share insights and ideas is Jenny Blake. Jenny is a podcaster, career and business strategist, and an award-winning author of three books, Life After College, The Groundbreaking Pivot for Navigating What's Next, and her recently published Free Time for Optimizing What's Now. So quick note, you'll hear us mention something we call sparkotypes in conversation. Well, what is that? Turns out we all have a unique imprint for work that makes us come alive. This is your sparkotype. When you discover yours, everything, work, life, even parts of personal life and relationships, They just make more sense. And until we know ours, well, we're kind of fumbling in the dark. And just like today's listener did, you can discover your Sparkotype for free at Sparkotype.com. You'll find a link in the show notes. Now, on to Gretchen's story and question. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Spark. Hi, my name is Gretchen McKay, and my pronouns are she, her, and my sparkotype is advisor, sage, and then the anti one was performer. And it's very interesting because I am a professor at a college and the college has undergone a lot of changes lately and of changes in leadership. And about 2015 or 2016, I started mentoring our college's football team. And when I started to do that, I really found that I enjoyed that more than the teaching that I have been doing for over 20 years. And so when I took your assessment quiz, I was really shocked to see that the advisor, or maybe I shouldn't have been shocked, that the advisor was higher than the sage, but it totally makes sense. It was also interesting that the performer was my anti-sparkotype because I'm always drained after a class. What I'm now wondering about uh, as higher education continues to go through major changes My major was eliminated as a program students could major in uh, a few years ago. And while the sparkotype shows me that it's more about one-on-one advising and mentoring, 
I wonder if there is something more for me than teaching my discipline, which is in the humanities at my college. So I'm pondering some big issues and perhaps changes, but I really like what I'm doing and I love my students. And so I'm just not sure if maybe I should just keep doing what I'm doing or if there's an avenue or a way to be doing more of the mentoring since my job is really about more sage, and that is the shadow sparkotype. So anyway, I'm interested to hear what you might think. Thank you. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. uh, We'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. And so, we had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. So interesting on a lot of different levels. Let's just, for a, a quick setup here. So Gretchen shared that her primary sparkotype, so meaning her strongest impulse for effort is the advisor. And that's more about walking side by side with a person, a group, people um, through some process of growth. The Her shadow or runner up or second strongest impulse was the sage. And the sage is all about the process of awakening insight. It's about illumination. A lot of people will shorthand that as teaching, as she kind of did. And then her anti-sparkotype, which is the, the kind of work that for most people is a heavier lift, even if objectively it doesn't feel like it should be. That was the performer. That's all about animating, energizing an interaction moment or experience. So that's kind of like where she's coming from. And there are so many different places we could dive into this. Um, Jenny, what kind of jumps out at you as some of like the, the big things to tee up here? There was something I read in a book about a year ago, and it said, where in your life are you ordering off of yesterday's menu? And I just thought that's such a powerful question that sometimes we inherit things in our career that we've been doing that are good, but no longer great. 
And Gretchen's question kind of reminds me of that, that she has yesterday's menu of her career, but is getting kind of curious about what are the specials on today's menu? What's new? What's different? What's emerging? And I think that this is, she's not alone in this. I mean, this is a huge theme of what's been emerging for so many people the last few years, which is that we have this abrupt pause, the snow globe shakeup, everything gets thrown up in the air. And as a result of her taking the Sparkotypes assessment, she actually gets some validations for what might just be whispers in her gut saying, this is kind of draining, or I don't know if I'm into this anymore, or hey, I happen to get a lot more energy from these other types of activities. And I I just love that she's giving herself permission to say it out loud, first and foremost, and permission to start exploring, going down a slightly different path. Yeah, I, I love that too. And it seems like there is, you know, between the combination of just what's happened um, over the last few years, especially in the realm of education and how it's you know, like utterly been turned upside down for everybody. And it sounds like then her immediate place of teaching has also been going through some really major changes that sound like maybe they were related to or maybe completely unrelated to it. And then at the same time, she had this really interesting experience of mentoring the football team, mm-hmm. which she was really surprised to discover actually really sparked her almost mm-hmm. on a level that she describes as being more than standing in front of a classroom of students and teaching. What's your take on that? I just love hearing that. And I am a big believer in noticing our energy because our careers, again, Once we build up a certain base of experience, this is something I loved from Gay Hendricks' book, The Big Leap, that we all have four zones, zone of incompetence, competence, excellence, and genius. And we hear a lot of people talking about finding your zone of genius or find your sparkotype, find the work that brings you alive. But what we talk about less is how that zone of excellence can trap us, can keep us stuck because we get praised for what we're excellent at. She might be an excellent professor, but her genius is in the more advisory role or mentoring a certain group at the school, in this case, the football players or athletes. And there's probably a reason, something in her heart that is connecting to this group at this moment in time with the skills that she has to offer and even seeing the impact. Whereas the data on the other side of her career has been that actually they shut down the major that her course was a part of. So even it was interesting that a door kind of closed on that side, in addition to her sense of growing dread or feeling drained by that side of the work, and then here this new door swings open. So I just think it's so important to recognize just because we're good at something doesn't mean we need to keep doing it. And it also doesn't mean that it's what we're best at. That's our highest and best calling for this next phase. Yeah, I mean, I, and I completely agree with that. And before we even get to the, you know, like the keep doing it or not question, I think we also, you know, the even earlier inquiry is when you think about, you know, the broader category of what is teaching, what is it to actually be a professor in a college, right? There are so many different ways to step into that exact same job title. So on the surface, you might think, well, clearly it's about teaching. It's about playing the role of this age. It's about standing in front of a room of people or a lecture hall full of people and sharing what you know mm-hmm. in a way where the light bulbs go on in the room. And sure, you know, like that may be one way of going about it, but like what keeps popping into my head is... Could you actually keep the exact same job, the exact same title, keep teaching something that you're passionate about and probably have a lot of skill around and a lot of like domain expertise around? But like, could you just keep running these experiments to say like, how might I be able to reimagine this job, this role and step into it from a much more walking beside a more intimate, safe container guiding through a process of growth standpoint rather than standing in front of a group of people and transmitting 
transmitting what I know. What's your, what's your lens on that? I love that offering of an experiment in this way. You were there, in fact, because I recently did my first, one of my first in-person speaking engagements since the pandemic. It had been almost two and a half years. And I was so grateful that the format was fireside chat style conversation and not me on stage in high heels in clothes that no longer fit with a clicker in my hand. Something about that mode, that way of teaching, I just couldn't imagine it given what we've all been going through the last few years and the ways we're all engaging with material. And so I kind of love what you're saying. And that hurt instinct as well is not just to stand at the front of the room and talk at people. That is there a way to design even the classroom experience in a way that's much more interactive and much more small group focused or just facilitating an experience among students. And then wouldn't it be ironic if that becomes the most popular class on campus or the most beloved format? Because I have to say, I don't know about you, JF, but thinking back on my college days, I found it almost excruciating sometimes to sit still in a classroom for two and a half hours listening to a professor who was just talking at us. I don't know who has that kind of attention span anymore. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And you know, it's interesting also because um, Gretchen said that, you know, she said, I'm, I'm, I'm using her words here. She said, I really like what I'm doing and I love my students. Now, if she had shared, I really don't like what I'm doing right now, or I just, I'm just done with the topic. I'm just like bored with it. Or you're like, I really don't enjoy the, the particular you know, students or community I'm in. That would be one thing, right? That's a tell right there. But she's not saying that. She's actually saying, I really like this and I really like my students. You know, which is why I, I, I think it's also a really interesting moment to revisit this invitation to say, like, how can I step into this differently? You know, how can I? And what's interesting is, is you kind of think, well, but what if you have like the typical class with 30 or 40 different students? Like, how can you actually turn that from less of a sage, you know, like a teaching type of modality to more of an, of an advisory type of mentoring, coaching, walking beside type of feel? And I would bet you know, that with decades of experience with students, she has got so many different tools in her toolbox she could potentially draw on to make that transition in ways where people would all, all of a sudden feel much more intimately connected to each other. Maybe it's like, you know, you run it in a much more conversational way. Maybe you're just regularly moving people into small breakout groups and working in these projects you know, over an extended period of time where you're rotating through the projects and playing more of like a mentoring role in each small team. But there's so many different ways to structure it, to shift the energy into what more of the one that is nourishing for her. And I really wonder if her students, like you just described, like your, your students are going to feel that, you know, I have to imagine it's going to change the way that they experience the class too. One question that it's almost an inquiry that I hold is what supports the highest good for all involved? Or how can I serve the highest good for all involved? And that includes Gretchen as the facilitator of these classes and of her students. And then also she might be able to reverse engineer or unpack a little bit what is making the mentoring with the football players so rewarding? Is it the format? Is it the time of day? Is it what she's talking about? Is it how she's structuring their time together? Is it the sense of meaning and purpose behind it? And just unpack that a little bit. In fact, I recently had a friend suggest to me after I shared how much fun I had at that recent speaking engagement, she said, I call them a 30-30, where we'll get on the phone and we 
talk about something I'm looking at for 30 minutes and then we switch. And this is the way I like to set up friend tour calls rather than can I pick your brain. But she had this great suggestion that we help each other unpack our ideal speaking engagement as we head into a, a new year ahead. And that we spend 30 minutes just unpacking why something worked well instead of just focusing on the side that isn't working or that we don't enjoy. And I would offer that to Gretchen too. You could even find a friend because sometimes it's hard to see it on your own and do a 30-30 or a 20-20 where you both help each other unpack something that has gone really well that was really energizing for you and then unravel the threads of why. The other thing you could do is my friend Alexander Franzen taught me this framework for designing learning experiences that I always come back to. No feel do. And then I added refer to. What do you want students to know? What do you want them to do? How do you want them to feel? And what do you want them to refer to? She could kind of just map looking ahead. Let's say, let's say she already knows she's going to teach for another year at least. You could do the no feel do on the entire semester at once or quarter, depending what system you're on. Or you could do it by each individual class. But doing the no feel do gives you some freedom to say, by the time they leave my classroom today, here's what I want them to know if at a minimum. Here's what they need to know. Here's what I want them to do. And here's how I want them to feel. And that feel piece might also help her connect to something new around this. I love that. And I'm wondering also if you could use that framework to to set an intention for your own experience, not just for the students. Like, what do I want to know that's different than when I showed up? So I'm kind of running an experiment, right? Like, how do I, what do I want to do? Like, what am I going to change to like run that experiment? How do I want to feel that is different than the way I normally feel? Um, and then adding yours, like, like what, and then reflecting on that. So it's almost like you're running these two different no feel do's simultaneously. One is for the impact that you're hoping to have on those who are in the room with you. And also for like the impact that you're looking to have, like the, the difference making you're looking to have in your own personal experience, which so often we neglect, especially I feel like earlier in our careers. And especially in a, in a domain where you're very forward facing and you're being measured and often promoted and compensated based on the effect that you have on others. And then you reach a level where you're like, you're actually pretty solid at it. And almost to the point where sometimes it becomes more autopilot. And, and sometimes you just end up coasting and we never like turn that same lens back on ourselves, you know, and say like, how do I reach a level where, you know, like I can actually become compelling enough at not just creating a certain experience for others, but creating an experience for me that is sustainably engaging and rewarding and fulfilling. I have never in all these years, I've never thought to include the facilitator, the instructor in the no field do. I love that idea, adding that on. And then sometimes that even helps me. I imagine in this case, let's say for Gretchen, imagine her students send her these raving thank you notes at the end of the semester. What are they thanking her for and why? So sometimes when I'm trying to think of what I, how I want to show up or what I want to get out of something, I actually will envision one of those I call them keeper emails because you want to keep them and reread them on a rainy day. But there's probably a certain amount of positive feedback and reinforcement she's gotten up till this point. But maybe work backwards. Picture yourself at the end of the next semester or quarter and people are just raving about your class. And why is that? And fellow teachers are asking you to come shadow and they're hearing all this buzz and like just picturing those thank you notes or winning some kind of award. What's it for and why? Or she's even writing into the Sparked podcast a year from now, sharing some wins or around all this. Sometimes those questions help me really visualize the impact that I'm hoping to have. And like you said, JF, exactly like what would be rewarding for her in terms of how to show up that ends up serving the students even better as well. Yeah, I love that. And and imagine if you kind of blended this all together and said, 
you know, if a year from now I'm getting all these feedback, emails, reviews, whatever it may be from students, like what would I love them to say in their feedback that would also be a reflection of me stepping into the experience, serving at my highest level with the advisor sparkotype more on display. So like rather than, you know, like I learned a ton you know, what if it would be like, I, you know, like, I felt really safe. I felt really seen. I felt like I grew through the process of being in this class beyond just learning whatever like the topic was, because that might really advise how you step into the experience as well. And like you said, revisiting that experience of that, that Gretchen shared of mentoring the football students. What was it about that that was so different that made her feel so different? I think deconstructing that could be really interesting. And I don't want to skip over also um, what she shared about this idea of her anti is the performer. And she mentioned that after like generally teaching a class, she feels really drained. Um, And that can, in fact, you know, if you teach a class and you sort of turn on the performer switch, you're like, you're active, you're animated, you're energizing and infusing the moment. It can be, it can read as, you know, like, interesting and exciting and, and ramp up the experience for those who are on the other side of it. But then, you know, if it is your anti, like one of the things that we know is that you can, you can show up and do it for a certain window of time, but it can feel like a much heavier lift, leave you much more drained and require greater recovery. But I think what we don't talk about as much is I still believe that people on the other side of that experience feel it. You know, it's different than if you showed up and that was your primary thing, the thing that utterly lit you up. And then you showed up as that person. Like, I, I truly believe that, it, that it's palpable. Like, even when we do the work of our anti-spark type, and it's a part of our job and for everybody, like nobody gets to entirely opt out of it. You know, like there's always a part of what you do that's probably going to draw, maybe it's five you know, or 10%. Hopefully it's a relatively small percent that is going to probably require you to do some of the work of your anti-sparkotypes, sort of the nature of work, right? But, you know, when that becomes a big part of it, I feel like even if we can, if we've developed the skill of being, being competent at it or really good at it, and we can sort of rally ourselves to do it for the, the hour or the 90 minute class or whatever it may be, that on the other side of that, people feel it. Um, that there's something about it. And, and imagine if you could like walk out of that exact same experience feeling full and activated and at the same time having your students feel that same thing on an entirely different level. I love that. Yeah. And what you're saying is bringing a couple things to mind. That way of working where it's still inherently draining, it's not sustainable. So I do think that the people on the other side end up feeling it. And also it's just becomes harder and harder to sustain. But two things come to mind. So one, if she tries switching up the format based on all these suggestions we're throwing out there, and she's still just as drained at the end of every class, at least she has even more data that I've tried everything I can. I've switched the format. I've really come at this from a new angle. And then she's going to be even clearer. I've got a close off this part of my career or transition out slowly but surely because I'm super clear. I've tried everything. On the other hand, she might find ways to charge up leading into teaching a teaching day and to unwind or recharge coming out of it. You and I both talk about how we're deep introverts. And I've just learned I really enjoy speaking. I enjoy connecting one to many in a big room. And even if I get nervous, my heart is pumping out of my chest. Deep down, it is still joyful to speak to 100 people in the room or 1,000. However, 
I am not the speaker that's going to go to the lunch beforehand and the happy hour cocktails at the end. I need to talk to no one for two days leading up and two days on the other side. Now, that might not fit what Gretchen's able to do, but could she consolidate her teaching days to one day a week and then take extra care of herself the day prior and the evening of? And what are some of those rituals that enable her to show up within that pocket of time, knowing that she will be drained and won't be as available for other people on a big teaching day. Yeah, I, I just think there are so many experiments to be run here. You know, there's so many ways to be creative and to just try different things. And after, you know, like over a 20-year career, you know, there, there's probably a certain amount of space. Um, and maybe I'm making an assumption here that you have to like run these experiments um, because clearly you're, you know, like a, a, a deeply skilled and valued member of this community. So um, I'm excited. Yeah, I, I hope so, at some point down the road we... We hear a little bit of a follow-up. Um, I've, I've, I've been thinking lately it'd be fun to, you know, we've been sort of like so airing for, for long enough now that it'd be fun to uh, be able to start to share some sort of like follow-up reports on some of the amazing listeners that, that have shared, uh, written in from the community. And any final thoughts or wrap-ups here as we, we start to think about closing out the conversation? The last intuitive hit that could be a wild guess that has nothing to do with anything. But the last thing that came up was with so much joy, we've talked a lot about how to kind of mitigate the draining factor, but continue teaching. With so much joy around mentoring the football players and the advisor sparkotype, I wonder if there's a way that Gretchen could almost mentor or advise other teachers at other schools about the work that she's doing. And so something about creating a little PB&J sandwich of mentoring the football team, but sort of exporting or sharing or advising based on what she's creating and why it's working so well, that that might also really fulfill the advisor side of her by advising her peers around this thing that has been so joyful. Yeah, I love that. Or, or even with her students, like, what would happen if you actually added an hour a week of office hours? Mm. Um, and on the surface, it's like, why would you ever do that? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm literally like working more now. It's like, and it's counterintuitive for a lot of folks, but what we find is that sometimes when we add something that seems like we're actually adding more work to our plate, but the work that we're adding is work that's deeply nourishing or some potentially like far more nourishing than the other work that we do, that can actually give us energy back, even though like you know, on the surface, it seems like we're exerting more energy because it's so fulfilling and rewarding. So I'm just excited to hear like uh, about too. all the possible ways that this could go. Um, as always, Jenny, thanks so much for your deep wisdom and insight and kindness and for our fabulous listening community. Thanks for riding along with this. And remember, if you have a question, a thought um, that you want to share with us, um, please do send it in. We're always looking for new folks to feature here on the podcast. Just head on over to the website, sparkotype.com, and you will see where to submit it. Until next time, take care, everyone. Hey, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation, learned a little something about your own quest to come alive and work in life, and maybe feel a little bit less alone along this journey to find and do what sparks you. And if you'd love to share your own moment and question with us, we would love to hear from you. Just go ahead and click on the submissions link in the show notes to get the details on how to do that. And remember, if you're at a moment of exploration, looking to find and do or even create work that makes you come more fully alive, that brings more meaning and purpose and joy into your life, take the time to discover your own personal sparkotype for free 
at sparkatype.com. It'll open your eyes to a deeper understanding of yourself and open the door to possibility like never before. And hey, if you're finding value in these conversations, please just take an extra second right now to follow and rate Sparked in your favorite podcast app. This is so helpful in helping others find the show and growing our community so that we can all come alive and work in life together. Until next time, I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Sparked.